Welcome to the St. Matt's 6 p.m. podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Today, Ron returns to the fifth act series, this time looking at money and possessions in the Bible. The main text today is Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. the trumpet sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the jubilee and they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price, and when the years are few, you are to decrease the price, because what is really being sold to you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is not life more than food or the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See all the flowers in the field that grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble in town. Evening, everyone. My name's Ron, and uh, welcome along. Uh, for those of you who are regulars, welcome. For those of you who are visiting with us, either in the building or online, it's great to have you with us as well. And uh, as Chris said, we're going to be working through this fifth act framework, which I'm glad is starting to get your head around, and we're going to be talking about money and possessions. But before we get into that, I just want you to think about the very first sentence that Caden read to you from Matthew chapter 6. Did, did you catch it? Did you catch what Jesus said? 
listen to it, it's going to come up on your screen in a moment. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Jesus isn't saying, don't worry when you go to the fridge and open the fridge doors and you don't know what to eat because there's so much choice. He's not saying don't worry about that day when you go to the wardrobe and there's a number of outfits there but nothing seems to be just quite right for the occasion that you want. He's saying don't worry when you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Don't worry when you don't know how you're going to be clothed because your last piece of clothing is just worn out. Now surely that makes us stop and do the thinking face emoji. What's going on here? Really? Jesus, is that really what you're saying? Jesus' words provoke us to think and consider how it is that he's calling people to live. John Wesley was also fairly confronting. He lived a few hundred years ago and he said, the last part of the human to be converted is the wallet. This evening I want to talk to you about money and possessions. And that's a little bit risky. But the Bible talks about money and Jesus talks about money and possessions a lot. We need to talk about money, not because of church budgets, but we need to talk about money so that we will grow as Jesus' lifelong disciples. Now, I know that many people at St. Matt's are really financially generous, and I'm really thankful for that. I thank you for your generosity. I praise God for your generosity. There's so much to be said about money that we're going to come back to this topic another time and give it more than just one evening. There's so many things that will be left unsaid after tonight. But what I want to do is take you through a brief overview using this framework so that you will have the story of God in your mind and then with the spirit of God in your heart, you can make some decisions about how to use money and possessions in a way that will help you grow and ultimately in a way that will bring glory to the Lord Jesus. So let's go back to those who were listening to Jesus when he delivered that sermon that we heard a part of tonight as Caden read. What was it that they understood? What was the world view that Jesus was speaking into? What did those hearers understand as they heard Jesus' words. Well, this is where this framework really helps us. And the first act, the act of creation, that they would have understood very clearly, sets out that God has created the whole world. Everything is his. He made it. And after each stage of creation, God pauses and says, it is good. All of creation, the whole material world is good. God's incredible generosity is on display in the Garden of Eden at creation. He provides a material world 
And in that material world, he gives the humans everything that they need to be able to flourish. Material things are God's good creation gift. They're not inherently evil. They're not to be avoided. But in our world today, it doesn't take much to see that not every human flourishes. Some have much. Others have little. So what happened? This is where the second act comes in. The act of the fall. Adam and Eve lived in this beautiful world where they received everything they needed from their good God. They had every, every single thing that they needed. There was this one thing that God told them not to touch, not to eat from. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But one day they saw it and took it and everything changed. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 tells us, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Contentment with God and with his provisions gave way to greed. Human greed for the goods of creation rather than for the good of creation spoils what God has made and affects all of our attitude towards material and material possessions. That takes us to the third act, the act of Israel. And there's so much that Israel has to teach us. This is where I really feel like I'm just skimming the surface. The nation of Israel was to treat each other in ways radically different to the way other nations treated one another. We heard from the reading that Jackie read to us from the book of Leviticus about the year of Jubilee, that after 49 years of buying and selling, everything was reset. It all started again. That they were meant to adjust what they would sell things for depending on how long away they were from a year of Jubilee. Possession and wealth accumulation were temporary things for them. Life with God in the land of promise was built on interdependence, community and generosity, not on individualism and consumerism. They trusted in the Lord's provision. They valued community over the individual. Leviticus 25 verse 17 summarised it like this. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. A further way that the Israelites showed generosity was through tithing their first fruits. Now, when you hear the word tithe, what do you think? Tithe means 10%. And so the faithful Israelite tithed 10% to support the work of the temple and the Levites, the people that work at the temple. And so we often think, oh, okay, the Israelites gave 10% of what they had, which they did. Except Deuteronomy chapter 14 talks about two other tithes, two other 10% on top of this one. Another 10% that they put away each year for the harvest time celebration 
so that all the Israelites could come together at harvest time and have this massive party at a time and place God set and celebrate God's goodness together. That's another tithe. So now we're up to 20%, right? And then every three years, they would set aside a further 10% that would be set aside to support widows, orphans and foreigners. The faithful Israelite gave a staggering 23.33% annually of what they had come in. That's incredible. On top of that, there are occasions where they gave what are called free will offerings, where needs came up and they gave to support that particular need that came up. Now, all of this has obvious practical benefits. They were able to support the work of the temple and support those who worked in the temple who couldn't work on the land. They were able to support and look after the poor amongst them and the foreigners who came amongst them. They were able to celebrate God's goodness regularly and thoroughly. There was practical benefits. But more than that, there was a spiritual benefit. And Deuteronomy 14 gives that spiritual reason for this joy-filled generosity. It says, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. This is why they practiced these tidings. Our generosity is part of our discipleship. When we give, we learn to trust and revere the Lord. Our wallets need to be converted, not so that we meet budgets, but so that we grow as lifelong disciples of Jesus. Israel had a theology that undergirded and and, uh, empowered this practice. It's summed up in Psalm 24 verse 1 which says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's what they thought of of the world. It all belongs to God. King David, having received an abundance of gifts to the temple that uh, he was preparing for, he pays this prayer in 1 Chronicles. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. All belongs to him. All is to be used for his good and for his glory. Generosity was the fitting response of faithful Israel to the generosity that God had given them time and time again. Generosity enabled them to trust him rather than themselves for provisions. It enabled them to celebrate his goodness rather than their autonomy. Well, that's the background to the fourth act where we started in Matthew chapter 6. There, Jesus is challenging his disciples about their discipleship. In verse 24, he just said to them, you cannot serve both God and money. And now, he reminds them the extent to which they are loved and provided for by God. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, 
Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Rather than being some super radical teaching, this teaching is just Jesus reinforcing the first three acts. It all belongs to God. He is the generous owner of all things, of all the world's resources. He is the provider of all. And he has provided for them through his people as they look after each other. In God's economy, the poor, the orphans, the widows are all provided for. And so Jesus then implores the disciples on this day to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things given to you, that sounds good, doesn't it? Is Jesus promising some extra financial blessing? That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is envisaging a righteous kingdom community where the blessings of life will be met because God's people live faithfully with him. He's envisaging a community where he is at work, a community where kingdom needs are met through the generosity of his generously redeemed people. He's envisaging a community that trusts their generous God to supply. Money tests discipleship. Well, what do we do and what did Jesus do with the tithing that we heard about in the third act? Some say Jesus doesn't reiterate the practice of tithing. And I agree. He doesn't. I think, though, he calls us to something more. The one time that Jesus does talk about tithing, he does it in the context of condemning the Pharisees for being legalistic about their tithe, but failing to look after the poor and the widows, failing in things like justice and mercy. And in speaking to them, he doesn't say, look, don't worry about your tithe anymore, you've got it all wrong, just go and do this. He says, keep tithing and make sure you are kind and merciful and faithful. Jesus directly challenges greed. He warns against the accumulation of things. Now, while possessions aren't bad in themselves, Jesus warns of some of the dangers that money can bring. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. He calls for faithful stewardship of the things that God has entrusted to us. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. But the greatest part of Jesus' teaching on generosity isn't what he says, but what he does. Because Jesus entrusted with everything. Jesus, in very nature, God, gave the most. Paul writes this of Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, 
might become rich. The good news that brings salvation, the good news that gives us hope and new life in Jesus is only good news because Jesus who had it all gave it all up so that we who had nothing could have it all. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus. That's the good news of the cross. That is the foundation of generosity for a Christian. That Jesus, who had it all, gave it up for those of us who had nothing. That we who had nothing would have it all. This is the picture of our generous God giving generously. Not storing up, but freely giving away. And our generous God who doesn't store up but freely gives away invites us to do the same. To not store up, but freely give. Well, before we get to the fifth act and think about us, let's just briefly go to the sixth act. The act of new creation. In it we find a glorious, even luxurious new creation. We find a new heaven and a new earth that points to God's glory in words like this from Revelation 21. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. See, the luxuries of this world are not bad in and of themselves. But we see in the new creation that rather than them pointing to any individual status, rather than them being a symbol of any individual success, the luxuries of this world point to the glory of God. So where does that leave us in the fifth act, in this act that we find ourselves in, in the age of the church? Well, the first disciples started to integrate all this teaching, and they have some good principles that I want to share with us tonight. First, it's all God's, it's not ours. We see this throughout Scripture. All that we have has come from Him. Richard Foster, a Christian author, says this, God's ownership of everything changes the kind of question we ask in giving. Rather than ask how much money do I give to God, we learn to ask, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? The difference between these two questions, Richard says, is monumental. It's all God's, not ours. Second thing, let's get our priorities right. Seek first Jesus' kingdom. That's Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. Seek first the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Contentment in life doesn't come from possessions. Most of you will have experienced the reality of that. Contentment in life comes from knowledge of the presence of God with you. And if you have that knowledge of the presence of God, 
you know contentment, even in all sorts of trials. And if you don't know that contentment, then know this, know that Jesus waits, generously offering to you the gift of eternal life, the gift of his presence with you, the gift of contentment and peace in the knowledge that he is with you and he is for you. Third, guard your heart. Writing to Timothy, Paul says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Have you seen that reality? It happens. It happened back then. It happens today. It's happened every time in between. Where people once once with fervour for Jesus chase after money and lose their fervour for him. The cultural acceptance of materialism makes us very susceptible to loving money and possessions. In his aptly named Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, Our hearts have room only for one all-embracing devotion and we can only cleave to one Lord Every competitor to that devotion must be hated. As Jesus says, there is no alternative. Either we love God or we hate him. We are confronted by an either or. Either we love God or we love earthly goods. Guard your heart. Number four, be generous. Writing to the church in Corinth, collecting money for the ministry of various churches, Paul urges them in 2 Corinthians 8 to excel in the grace of giving. What a beautiful phrase. To excel in the grace of giving. What a mindset to think of giving as a grace. They prioritise generosity to the local church because the local church is the heartbeat of God's mission activity in the world. It's only kingdom-minded people who give the kingdom mission through God's kingdom uh, uh, institution of the local church. Be generous. Number five, care for the poor. On top of giving first fruits to the work of the local church, God's people over history have always cared for the poor. I received an email recently from SIM Australia and they were blown away and incredibly thankful for the generous donation that you gave to them to assist with COVID relief amongst the poor in South America. Thank you for your generosity in in looking after the poor in our world in that way. Continue to be open-handed, not tight-fisted in the way that we give to the poor and needy of this world. Sixth and final, give in joyful love. Sounds bizarre, doesn't it? Give in joyful love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, if I give all I possess to the poor, 
but do not have love, I gain nothing. God wants our hearts to be full of love and joy as we give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 takes this a little bit further. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Give in joyful love. We give to the work of ministry not to meet budgets, but to joyfully follow Jesus with our all. It's about being a community who look after each other, about being a community of lifelong disciples whose wallets reveal their hearts. It's about enabling us to engage our world with grace and truth, investing in ministry with the return. Investments always have returns. Investing in ministry with the return of transformed lives, of people who know Jesus. Is there any greater joy than seeing the money that God has entrusted you to be used by him to change eternal destinies? We're generous with what God has entrusted us so that God's mission might go forward and so that God might be glorified. Let me leave you with two quotes. C.S. Lewis. I do not believe one can settle on how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. And Jesus, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? Let me pray. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.